Hi, this is Sav. This is Katie. And this is Michael from The Accidentals. And you're listening to Your Morning Coffee, the podcast with Jay Gilbert and Michael Etchart. Weekly music news for the new music business. From Billboard, songwriters versus giant tech streaming services, what you need to know. From MixMag, the vinyl straw, why the vinyl industry is at a breaking point. From Symphonic, 125 ways to promote your music. And from Bandzoogle, 18 ways fans can support musicians. We've got these stories, and make sure you have your acronym decoder ring with you for this episode, because we are it's, it's an acronym-heavy episode. It is number 64 of the Your Morning Coffee podcast. Stand by for transmission. This is London Calling. Wake up! Your morning coffee is on the air. 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 For the new music business. It's the highly curated, agitated, advocated, moderated, and liberated digital music information that you need to know. We are your digital music authority. And now from our studios in Hollywood, California, here's your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Well, good morning, Jay. We are here on a Saturday, which is very weird That's unusual for us. for us. It's very yeah. unusual. It is very unusual, although I'm kind of liking it, strangely enough. I don't know why. Yeah. It's just different. I like it's it, too. Vibe. It you is. Headed to I'm going to be on a plane. Yeah, I'm going to be on a plane tomorrow, so we, we had to do it just a, a little bit early. But uh, wow, what a week uh, for the music industry. So much to talk about. Um, uh, some very important stories. But before we get to that... Um, I, I do want to thank our sponsors too, but I want to talk about a couple of things that happened this week um, that were really cool. One was the Music Tectonics Conference I attended. Um, Dimitri Vitsa and his team over there at Music Tectonics put on one heck of a show. So many great panels, so many great discussions. Uh, I couldn't attend the in-person thing uh, in Santa Monica, maybe next, uh, maybe next year, but um, if you're not following Music Tectonics, their blog, their newsletter, their podcast, what are you waiting for? So much great information. So many great smart people talking about important issues. And it's it's the golden age of things like that. where Because there's so much to know now. You know we oh were, my gosh. Before it's we got on, we so were talking fast. about nomenclature yeah. and explaining the different, you know, it's it's, there's just a ton of stuff to know. And it's... 
that is one of the the things that's so dramatic about the new music business versus the old yeah. music business. In my way of thinking, is that you just there's just more avenues, more things, more everything that you need to be on top of and aware of. And it's yeah. mind-numbing sometimes because there's just so much stuff. And so, of course, we yeah. try to clear it up and, and talk a lot about the different things. But it's just lots of stuff out there. And every week, we it's hard to pare it down to what it we really want to talk is. about. Oh, yeah. I leave off you know 20 stories a week out of your morning coffee because there's just not enough room. And I try to curate it so it's the important things you need to know. Um, and this, this last week, so many important stories. Um, but there are a few that we're going to cover. We're going to cover those four that we just talked about. There's an honorable mention. We're not going to really cover it, but I wanted people to be aware. There was this really great uh, webinar, and it's in your morning coffee. There's a link to all of the notes, and there's also a link to the actual webinar. It's called Playlists and Beyond um, by my friends Mike Warner and Andrea Young. Um, and it really kind of takes off from Mike's book, Work Hard, Playlist Hard, which you've heard me recommend on this podcast many times. But sit down with a cup of coffee and a notepad and watch Playlists and Beyond, the webinar. Link is in your morning coffee. Uh, Super valuable stuff that we talk about all the time. It's not gaming the system. It's really all about optimizing for all of these DSPs, digital service providers like Apple Music, Pandora, Deezer, but also some that maybe you haven't thought of much, uh, Tidal, Angami, and others. Um, it's super valuable. It's definitely worth your time. Uh, check out playlists and beyond. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it's, it's such important information and it's, you know, it's so nice to have, as we do now, access to, to experts, uh, easy access to experts. And, you know, I remember, uh, you know, at, at the risk of sounding like an old guy, the, in, in our day, you know, you just had no, no way of connecting, no way of tapping into that information that, that, that people in the industry had that had been around for a long time. And now we are so blessed to have all of these opportunities to learn about the important stuff that you need to know. And it's another wonderful resource. And one other honorable mention, um, I had sent around just to friends a list that I've been keeping uh, for the last few years of things that are said on Label Logic conference calls. And it's just kind of fun. Some of the things people have said to us, you know, some of the things that we've said. And we get a kick out of it, and we're always updating it. And I sent it over to Bruce Houghton over at HypeBot um, just for fun. And he said, uh, you want to run this? So I cleaned it up a little bit, took out some things. that There's some things that people just wouldn't get, kind of an inside joke. Sure. Um, but it, it's the article was published on HypeBot. It's called um, Things Said and Heard on Label Logic Conference Calls. And I've gotten more email from that story than any others, people sending me theirs. Right. And people, uh, you know, all over the world, I got some really fun uh, messages about that. People got a kick out of that. Nice. Nicely done. Well, and it's, it's, you know, it, it's deja vu all over again. You know, you, you get on these calls as, and, and you just, it's like an echo chamber. Sometimes you just, you, you find yourself repeating the same lines. You, you hear the same questions and it's, it's yeah. fun to kind of see it laid out like that without a doubt. Yeah. Some of them are really silly. Like it's not fraud, it's marketing. Um, but other ones, um, that really resonated with people. One was, um, there's always a chance, but as of now, there's no chance. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Stuff like that. It was a lot of fun. So 
Too fun. Well, by the way, you know when we put the show together, we do it with the uh, the with gratitude because we have fantastic sponsors, and uh, I would like to say that we are sponsored by TiVo Music Metadata, dedicated to bringing order to the chaos of digital music. TiVo Metadata offers obsessively deduplicated artist album and song IDs, expert written editorial content and ratings, verified images, weighted deep descriptors, similar artists, band members, and influences, authoritative credits, personalization discovery and search APIs, purpose-built solutions for classical music, and a global connected car platform linking broadcast radio with streaming. To learn more, hop over to TiVo.com slash music. Great operation of great folks over there. And uh, yeah, love, love TiVo. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, your Morning Coffee podcast is also brought to you by our friends at Banzoogle, built by musicians for musicians. Banzoogle is an all-in-one platform. It makes it really easy to build a beautiful website and an EPK for your music. All of the features that you need for a professional website, they're all built in. Hosting, custom domain name, dozens of fully customizable design templates, tools to sell your music and merch commission-free, commission-free crowdfunding and fan subscription features, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send newsletters, social media integrations, and live support from their musician-friendly team seven days a week. Your Morning Podcast listeners can go to bandzoogle.com, try it for free for 30 days. Just use a promo code MORNINGCOFFEE, all one word, and you'll get 15% off your first year of any subscription. That's bandzoogle.com, promo code MORNINGCOFFEE. And we are also sponsored by HypeBot since 2004. HypeBot has chronicled the new music industry and the trends in technologies that are changing how music is discovered, consumed, marketed, and monetized. It is edited daily by founder Bruce Houghton with help from Owen Davis. HypeBot and sister blog Music Think Tank are published by live music discovery and marketing platform Bands in Town. And speaking of bands in town, over 65 million live music fans use bands in town. They trust bands in town. To, you know, it gives them personalized concert alerts, recommendations, and messages from their favorite artists. It's the number one artist services platform connecting over 550,000 artists with their super fans. Managers, labels, agencies, and artists access their own dashboard to manage and promote their tour dates across all platforms. Yes. Big thanks. TiVo Music Metadata, Banzoogle, Bands in Town, Hypebot. Love them all and appreciate it all the time. And we are fortunate to get the chance to work with companies that we've been fans of for many, 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 many moons. So without a doubt. Yeah. By the way, the guy that I talk to every, well, actually I talk to him more than just for this, but he <laughs> is Jay Gilbert. He's the curator of the Your Morning Coffee newsletter, which of course, as it and we are, weekly music news for the new music business, and a former executive with Universal Music, Sony Music, and Warner Music Groups, indeed. Yes, sir. Uh, my good friend here, Mike, is a longtime host of Sound and Vision Radio, formerly of SST Records, Warner Music, Capital EMI, Universal Music. He is a musicologist, a documentary lover, and a grower of avocados. <laughs> yes, I am. Is that true? That's true. It's right? true. It's absolutely true. Yes, it is. You Not need to get me an avocado tree, dude. I want to grow an avocado tree in my backyard. Uh, you know, actually, I, I, I'm about to put an order in for 400, so I can ta tag and tag a, a couple for you if you'd like. I would love to have one, and I will cheerfully uh, pay you You will nurture it. There you, go. there you go. <laughs> Got it. Well, Jay, the, the, the first article we're going to talk about oh, is maybe amongst the most important articles we will talk about all year. And this yep. is out of Billboard magazine. Uh, songwriters versus giant tech streaming services. What you yeah. need to know. And it's a guest column. 
uh, by yep. David Israelite and Bart Herbison. Um, and this is, we're talking about music publishing. They're talking about the songwriters and how yeah. much they are paid by this is DSPs. Huge. Yeah. yeah, this is and, huge. And, I'm, and I'll give a little background um, on this, but before I do, uh, you and I were talking before the, the show about the Music Business Worldwide uh, podcast uh, that Tim Ingham does. It's so good. And they did an interview with David Israelite recently that if you're into you know, uh, songwriting, publishing, and what the DSPs are paying and what the uh, labels, all of that, man, you, you got to listen to that. But I, I want to give you just a, a little bit of a background because this is something, Mike, that you and I talk about um, frequently um, because there was this, the stories, you know, just recently in the UK with Parliament, right? The um, Digital Culture Media and Sport Committee, uh, mm-hmm. DCMS, um, they had done this investigation about the economics of st- streaming, and they turned that over to uh, the CMA, which is the Competition Markets Authority, again, in, in the UK. And it's it's kind of interesting because DCMS has, they don't have a good relationship with the majors. And if, if you think about, you know, this is a bunch of politicians, mm-hmm. and they're pitting basically uh, publishers against DSPs and labels. The publishers, they want more money for their songwriters, right? And I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people agree that songwriters should get more money. But on the other side, you know, you've got uh, the DSPs that they don't necessarily want to pay more. They're they're paying out, you know, roughly uh, 70% of what they take in. And we're going to break that down uh, a little bit. But this, um, this... Competition Markets Authority, CMA, you know, they initially responded, you know, after DCMS presented their findings, they initially responded basically by saying, you know what, you guys can work this out on your own. But now they're launching a unilateral market study, and this could affect change. This this could have uh, teeth. The CMA is also investigating Sony Music's acquisition of AWOL from Cobalt, you know, mm-hmm. recently for $430 million, but that's a whole nother thing. So... What's going on is there is a trial every five years, and it's called the Copyright Royalty Board. Uh, the last one was CRB3, Copyright Royalty Board, and that's actually still being litigated, but there's a couple of years, a little less than two years left on it. So we're starting to prepare for CRB4. The CRB sets the rates that DSPs pay the publishers and, of course, songwriters. And you know, through 2022, that's 15.1%. A lot of people think that's not enough. Spotify and Amazon right now are appealing that rate. So CRB4 is coming for 2023. So that's coming next year. The NMPA, uh, National Music Publishers Association, they want the DSPs to pay more. The DSPs want to pay less, right? Right. So right now it's 15.1%. And according to the early uh, uh, information from David Israelite is that they want it to be up to around 20% being paid to publishers, right? Right. Spotify and DSPs are saying, oh, we want that to be 10.5%. Oh. Yeah. So again, you know, just to, just to make sure, we, we, we referenced an acronym decoder ring. So it is kind of, there's a lot of, a lot of people in this, in this story, but the, yeah. the Music Publishers Association, the National Music Publishers Association, that's NMPA, and then the Nashville Songwriters Association International, that's the NSAI, they're the people who are in this negotiation process. The Copyright Royalty Board, by the way, is overseen by the Library of Congress. So much the same way mechanical royalties 
are and were in physical product, we have a government entity kind of overseeing some of this stuff when it comes to music publishing. So that's kind of interesting to know. But yeah. you know, w- one of the things that we talk about. So you 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 know the uh, the music publishers always are just kind of scrapping or, or just kind of trying to get more scraps. Basically, this has been a, a problem for, for the a long songwriter. Time. Yeah, right? exactly for the and, and here's a common misconception people think that these publishers uh, are taking a lion's share of that revenue the revenue they bring in publishers bring in mm-hmm. um, that's an 80 20 split uh, typically 20 percent to the publisher and 80 percent um, to the songwriters so they're really fighting uh, to get more money so how do we pay songwriters publishers how do we pay them more right now DSPs keep about 30 percent give or take of the revenue mm-hmm. and then uh, 55% is paid out to the rights holders, typically the labels, and around 15% to the songwriters via that CRB3, right? The Copyright Royalty Board. And we need to pay these songwriters more. They, they can't be making less than the delivery uh, of their music, right, on these DSPs. Um, but there's also some other things that David Israelite points out that are super important, And before I go into that, I wanted to mention um, to our listeners that we reached out to Merck Mercuriatus uh, from Hypnosis, and he's a big proponent of the songwriter, and he's agreed to come and talk with us. So that's coming up. Mike and I are super excited about it. We're pretty stoked, yeah. Yeah, that's going to be a a really cool uh, conversation. So you have to look at the overall value of the song, and this is what David Israelite says all the time, time, um, value of the song to the DSP. DSPs also gain stock value that the songwriters don't participate in. Yeah. And people forget about that, right? Um, there's things like uh, the, the, they gain value in other ways. Amazon Prime memberships. Um, Spotify, you know, they're going big into podcasts. And now they've aligned merch with uh, Spotify through Shopify in the last couple of weeks. They have that car thing. It's, it's actually called a car thing. Um, which is now there in OEM. Um, and then, of course, you know, Apple has their product ecosystem, devices, fitness, all of those things. So it's it's a very complex thing. It's not as easy as just saying, here's the pie and this is how much money. There's value created for these companies that they may not be, that the songwriters may not be participating in. Right. And, you know, and, and this, to me, harkens back to the time that we were both at Universal. So it's the early 2000s now, and we were in this advanced technology group. So we would have, we would be the people you spoke with if you kind of came in and had a new tech idea. And we used to see it all the time. These folks would come in and they had this brilliant idea that involved somehow new technology and the internet. And they wanted to build build their company on the backs of content. And then they wanted to pay content holders and owners like nothing, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And it's like, wait, 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 wait. You want to give us ten percent of whatever, and you're using our content to build the company and and build the offering. Yeah. And this to me is so galling when you see these, when you see Amazon, and and I'm so disappointing in the case of Apple because we're both fanboys to be honest of, of apple and their products and their corporate culture and, they and all that sat stuff out crb3 three and, that's right and they they got a lot of kudos for that oh they're you know tim cook and those guys they're for the songwriter and that's great they're not sitting out crb4 right which is coming and, up and it's and that, it's so so it's a so disappointing su- surprise me 
and so galling that again these companies don't want to pay up it's like you are building spotify amazon music you are building your company your offerings your everything you do is built on content and you don't want to pay for it and i don't want to go to the store and pay for the milk and the apples that i buy either but i guess what i know i have to because i know how i know the supply chain and i know how it works and it's just, it's so, I mean, it just yeah. makes me sick. There wouldn't pe- be any of these businesses without the songwriters. Right. There wouldn't. There's a great documentary that we've talked about called It All Begins With a Song, mm-hmm. which I highly encourage people to watch. But that is the foundation of our business. And we have to take care of those people. And streaming isn't bringing in the kind of revenue that CDs did in their heyday, mm-hmm. right? And so we have to look at the economics very closely. And that's why they have this trial, um, the CRB, um, every, every five years to make sure that we're paying people fairly. And there's a big fight. And if you look at your morning coffee, the first three stories are all about this. You yeah. know, this is what is really going on. Now, these CRB things kind of were in the background in previous years. Mm-hmm. They didn't get a lot of press. This one, David Israelite, and you know they're they're making sure that this is in the public's ears and eyes, and stay tuned because it's going to be a fight. Right. By the way, in in this article mentions Amazon and Apple, they each have currently valuations of one point seven four trillion and two point four trillion dollars, and so you guys want to talk to songwriters about grinding them down? It's just it's. It's so, I'm so disappointed with these big companies. Um, And again, this is, this is the lifeblood of the industry. How in the world can you possibly make an argument that they need to be making less? Yeah. Well, we will be, yeah, we will, we'll watch this really carefully and report back. But if you're in the music business or want to be in the music business, you need to know what's going on with this. Cause again, it sets that rate for the next five years. So yeah. it's super important for the lifeblood of our industry, and we'll just leave it at that. Without a doubt, without a doubt. Well, interesting stuff, and boy, this is this this is really the crux of of many future battles because it's it's going to always be like this. And yeah. like you said, when you have these these highly valued companies that you know they they didn't get that way by being kind to 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 other business entities and. They are taking the, putting the brass knuckles on, and they are going to fight tooth and nail to to make that less money they have to pay out. And it's yeah, well, the NMPA uh, has got their brass knuckles on too. This is yes, gonna they be do. A bloody, bloody battle. Yes, they do. So we will keep 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 on it, and uh, it's it's not the first conversation or the last conversation uh, we're going to have That's about right. this stuff. So all right, let's move That's on right. to the next one, Jay uh, from Mix Magazine. The vinyl straw. Why the vinyl industry is at a breaking point. And we've talked about this quite a bit, actually, on on past episodes. And yeah. the, basically, the supply chain of 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 making vinyl and how challenging it is, and how different it is, even from the first time when you know when when vinyl was king. Um, it's such a different business now, and it is yeah. just bursting. It is bursting at the seams. The supply yeah, chain. Yeah, there's more like, um, demand than there is supply or capacity. Um, I love the title. Again, this is from Mix Mag. Uh, Megan Townsend wrote this. The the headline was great. The Vinyl Straw. Why the vinyl industry is at a breaking point. Um, and it's some of these issues that are obvious and maybe some that aren't so obvious. 
you know, um, I think the pandemic really spun things in into uh, into motion where there mm-hmm. was. I know for me, we've talked about this. I went and started replacing all of my favorite albums during the first year of the pandemic. And I noticed right away that some of my sources for vinyl, whether it's indie retail, um, whether it's the sound of vinyl, you know, all these different places were starting to run out of things. And there's hit vinyl, right? There's new Mm -hmm. developing vinyl and there's catalog vinyl. And it's all about having that capacity. And I recently interviewed this company on the Music Biz Weekly podcast called Crates, uh, Q-R-A-T-E-S. And it's in, they were in Tokyo. The, the gentleman stayed up till late at night to talk to us. And what was really interesting about them is they were really smart. They bought up capacity at pressing plants globally. Mm-hmm. And now uh, for as little as 100, uh, a run of 100, you can get it like in 12 weeks where everybody else is around 22 weeks. And it's just that they, and that's the thing, is you have to buy up capacity, even Warner Warner Music, Universal, Sony, whatever. Mm-hmm. They're buying up capacity at these pressing plants. The problem is, and we can dig into this a little bit, is that some of the materials are now more expensive or hard to get, mm-hmm. whether it's the pellets that make the vinyl, whether it's the the paper goods, you know, for the sleeves and, and that sort of thing. It is really challenging when you have different variants color variants like you notice that maybe the indie retail will get a yellow version or target will get a red version or whatever anytime you have a color variant and typically a lot of these new releases will have several different color variants i've Mm -hmm. seen some that have 10 it's crazy but you gotta you gotta break down the machinery you gotta clean it and there's a, a delay with that so oh my gosh this is such a long and um well thought out piece um I don't know where you want to dig in. It, it just talks about all these different people within the music industry that are having issues with this. Well, and let's talk about a little bit about the money. You know, so it, they're just basically saying that the Global Record Sales Market Report 2021 to 2026 has predicted that the vinyl industry is expected to be worth $481 million by 2026, as opposed to its valuation of $179 million in 2019. So you're looking at, you know, three and four times of what it was just two years ago. Right. Said in a recent it's doubled stu- in the last year. Right, exactly. So it said in a recent study, 15% in the 16 to 25 age bracket, or Gen Z, said they have bought a vinyl record in the past 12 months, higher than the 11% of millennials who've done the same thing. And don't forget, Amazon announced uh, they jumped into the vinyl market with the Vinyl of the Month Club back in June. Um, and so you, you've got just everybody hitting the supply, you know, and, and back when, and, 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 you know, you and I overlapped with kind of the end of vinyl and, and heading into to compact discs. So I, I, I had a bit of, of experience uh, back in the day when I was at SST, actually, and make, with, with the process of making vinyl. And it was not easy, but it was much simpler than it is now. You, we were dealing with a, you know, 
a jacket and an album, and that was it. You know, it was black vinyl. There was nothing special about it. Occasionally, we did special colors and things like that, but nothing yeah. on the order that it is today, where everything is special. And don't forget, when you look at at any industry, you, you know, you have these people that have been in the business that know that know how things work, and many of those people that were involved in vinyl production back in the original and in the end. So we're now talking maybe up until around 1990, 91, which is more than 30 years ago almost. Those folks are out of the business. They're not working anymore. They're retired. So there's a there's not that much, not that many people that know how to do it. A lot yeah. of those factories had gone out of business uh, in the interim when CDs came in, and yeah. so it, it it's and then everything you know look look at look at whether it's petroleum or or things at the grocery store. The supply chains are messed up at the moment, and yeah. across uh, it, the board, yeah, across the board. So this is and then this particular thing when you've got this demand that is absolutely off the charts you can understand why it, it, it's facing challenges yeah. <laughs> to the point where people are, are independent labels are saying I, I just can't do it you know we can't yeah. do vinyl now and yeah again there's it. a lot of problems you know they talk about test pressings and those if you've ever had vinyl made what they do is they'll send you like four or five copies as a test pressing and you have to listen to that and be present and really you know not be distracted and listen to make sure the sound is right, there's no problems. And if there is a problem with, let's say, the first one you put on, you put on the second one to see if you can replicate that in the same spot, right? right? So it's not just an anomaly. And there, it's very labor-intensive. And the other thing that um, this article brings up, which I'd heard people talk about, but I'd never seen like somebody do a poll, is that 48% of buyers of vinyl don't actually play them. And right. I had heard things like this anecdotally, but people wanted on their shelf to say, I'm, I'm cool. I've got this vinyl, check this out or on their wall or whatever. Maybe it comes with a download card. Uh, mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe they're streaming it. Uh, maybe it's just for the premium package. I know a lot of artists right now, you know, the accidentals, Ben Barnes, they're, they're selling it signed. And so yeah. it's this premium colored vinyl in some cases, you know, with booklets and posters and things like that. And it, it is a different experience. But I think that's interesting that it's, uh, according to this poll, this ICM poll, um, that it could be that high uh, of people who aren't actually even uh, <laughs> playing it. You know, they say that we're, we're pressing vinyl because it's validating and it makes you feel like a real you know, record label. That's why some of these people are are doing it. But putting that aside for a second... It's going to take some time before we get out of the woods here because there's so many great uh, new releases coming out and everybody wants vinyl. Vinyl, as you pointed out, is outselling CDs, right, for the first time in the it's music unreal. industry, right? Yeah. So, you know, you've got catalog that people want pressed up, uh, people like me wanting to replace because you mentioned that it never used to be like this super ultra premium product. Now it's 180 gram vinyl, which is thick and doesn't warp, you know, as easily and has really nice uh, packaging. And um, so you've got catalog, you've got the new releases. And then if you're a new developing artist, you know, it's so common nowadays to say, okay, our CD and our download and our streaming are coming out on this date, but our vinyl's coming out five months later. Right. Well, and, and as this article points out, you know, it, it, when in, in our early days of working in the business, the vinyl record was the delivery mechanism to listen to music. If you wanted to listen to music, you bought the vinyl. Yeah. It's now a collector's item. 
It's not necessarily something to consume or play, which is such a dramatic shift of the way it was. It's a collector's item now. And so, you know, it's, and as they, as that uh, article mentioned, that not only do people not necessarily listen to it, one in five vinyl owners don't even own a record player. So you've got this collector's <laughs> item now, and that's, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's just a dramatic shift from what vinyl was originally. And so, you know, you've got, You've got these people that were making a product to essentially sit on people's shelves, um, yeah. which yeah, is that's crazy to me because yeah, I love the experience. You know, I used to work at Tower Records and we used to put album vinyl on and play it in the store and people would come up and go, what is that? And it was like a recommendation engine and it was, I just love the smell of it and just you know, that tactile experience. And I have my turntable in front of me and I've got a, an album on display right now. Mm-hmm. And the thing about vinyl is it's such a different experience because you, you don't put it on and walk away because that right. side is going to end. You know, typically I think the, the limit is something like 22 minutes a side. So you're, you're not going to put it on and just let it go for the rest of the day. You have to be more lean in. You have to be more engaged. That's what I love about it. Yeah, it's it, it it forces it to be an active listening experience as opposed to a passive listening experience. So, and that is the 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 you know and it, but I will I will admit I'm a bit sentimental about that. You know that's that's not the way my kids and your kids listen to music necessarily anymore. Um, and yet they're so super psyched about vinyl. It's just it's so. I mean, it's lovely. Well, it's interesting. It, my my eldest daughter is really. I got her a turntable, and yep. and she's really gotten into that lean in experience because that's not, they grew up in an era which is access, not ownership. They could watch any movie, any TV show, any YouTube video. It's access. They don't have to own anything. And what's fun about vinyl is now some of them are like, yeah, maybe I do want to, to own that. The other thing that this article points out is that, you know, shipping is really expensive. I, you know, so, so I was just talking to a good, a good friend of mine who I worked with at one point, who's an industrial designer and does a lot of work in China, a lot of manufacturing in China. And he was telling me that, that when he and I worked together, so this is maybe, you know, not that long ago, he said, you know, sending a a container on, on a ship from China to here typically was about 3,500 bucks to get that container wherever you want it to go out of China. It's now $35,000. So a factor of wow. 10. So the shipping That's so crazy. Oh, it's it's and I you know and we're seeing that in um, a lot of people first of all are trying to change their manufacturing process out of China to Mexico or or Canada or Singapore or somewhere else. Um, but um, it's 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 so that's dramatically changed the way everything has happened, and that's not going to change in the near future. And so we're we're seeing these shortages of everything, and because the supply chain is so out of whack, when they see something that is dramatically low, they will manufacture that in mass, which which means you're putting off something else. And so you've got these continual shortages. The, the article actually mentions that um, vinyl records are made of uh, polyvinyl chloride, which is PVC, if you've ever done piping in your house, uh, <laughs> mostly produced in Texas. But of course, due to the cold snaps back in 2021 and, and 2020, there's a worldwide PVC shortage. So you've got, you know, these things that are happening for the, for getting back to vinyl that, that are just messing everything up. And so we've yeah. got dramatic, dramatic 
supply chain issues just in terms of the economy as a whole, not only in vinyl, but it's it's hyper accelerated in vinyl. Yeah, yeah, we've seen this. Um, the shipping costs, some of them are just crazy for different territories. And also, if you have an artist, which we have a couple right now, where they want to sign uh, the jacket, so you send them the jackets. And so you ship those, you sign them, and then you ship those back. And you have to be really careful about your pressing runs. Otherwise, you can be underwater pretty quickly if you, you don't manage that and sell it at a premium product or price. Um, and then also that Crates company, Q-R-A-T-E-S, Crates that we mentioned, they've bought up capacity in other territories. And that is crucial. So you don't have to ship a big box of heavy vinyl. And vinyl is heavy. Um, you don't have to ship it from you know, one country to another because that could eat up your profit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I don't think this is going to change anytime soon. Um, I think it's, it's it's for the foreseeable future. And I don't see, I, I mean, well, you, you're you're a little bit closer with with artists and consumers than I am, but do you see, do you see the demand changing, say, in the next four years? Do you think that's an accurate assumption I think that the, by 2026? The, the demand is going to, yeah, I don't know about their numbers, um, but this, this article... It seems like they've done a lot of research and they know what they're talking about. But if we just, you know, the best uh, gauge of the future is the past. And if you look at the last year where it's doubled, I don't see that slowing down because there's such limited capacity and there's such, uh, you know, demand for this. Um, and it's just getting more and more popular. So I think it's it's going to be a while uh, before we're out of the woods. I think they're right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So a really good article to read and just kind of, you know, if, you, if you're not deep into it, you're not really thinking about all the challenges of vinyl. But those of us that are on the, uh, or those those folks that are on the front line of that, and a good buddy of mine I just had met for drinks a couple nights ago, who's who's involved in printing jackets. And it's just, you know, it's nuts. It is absolutely nuts. Getting them to where they need to be and the numbers. And again, we're talking about relatively small quantities and everything is is custom. And it's just pushing this, the whole system at the seams. So yeah. it's not changing. Yeah. That is not changing. All right, let's jump over to our friends from Symphonic. 125 yeah. ways to promote your music. And we're not going to cover all of them. but No, but we can talk about a few. But we, before we do, let's, let's talk about Symphonic for a second. Yeah. So um, the story, um, I'm looking to see if I can find an author, and I don't see it. Maybe it's at the bottom. Uh, oh, I wonder if it's Jeanette Berrios. Um, she's amazing. Um, I've, I've reached out to her before and complimented her on her and her team and, and, uh, Randall Foster and just the great people over at Symphonic, man, they are just killing it as far as, you know, not just as a music distributor, um, but you know, monetization is, is kind of what they're known for, but also education. And that's near and dear to our hearts, you know, making sure people understand, you know, we were talking earlier before we started to hit record that, you know, um, Amazon Music now has this feature where you can pitch for playlists, like Spotify yeah. does through Spotify for artists. Now through Amazon Music for artists, you can pitch for playlists. And I think that's amazing. And immediately um, there was information sent out from Symphonic showing you how to do it step by step. Yeah. Okay. So it's included in your morning coffee. But this particular piece we could talk for hours about, but I just wanted to send a shout out to my friends at Symphonic for continually. 
um, educating artists, managers, labels uh, about um, the new changes on different platforms and socials and DSPs and, and everything. Um, so we'll just we'll just go through a few of these. Like like you said, there's 125 ways to promote your music. Um, a few just off the top of, of the list, you know, include your lyrics uh, with distribution, right? Um, that's really important and easy to do. Um, utilize social banners to drive traffic to your music. Uh, promote your personal playlist. You should always have uh, your own personal playlist. And I'll use Spotify as an example. You know, you have that artist pick. Um, but I recommend that, you know, if people are going to go to your uh, artist page, and again, just we'll use Spotify as an example, um, give them kind of your your intro. Like, how should they discover you? You know, what's what's your greatest hits or what's your, you know, mm-hmm. and maybe sprinkling your new stuff in there. So that's super important. They talk about things like Spotify codes and Spotify ads and uh, Spotify playlist exchange. This And these are linked. So when you go to this piece in your morning coffee, which will drive you to Symphonic, you can click on these ways to promote your music, a lot of them, and learn more about them if you if you don't know already. And I'll just read off a, a few more, and then I'll turn it over to you. Um, you know, ask your artist friends to add your music to their playlists, right? Uh, yeah. If they played on it, you know, maybe have them promote it on their socials. Sell merch on Spotify. We just talked about the story where Shopify is now integrated into Spotify. Um, create a Spotify green room. Create a Pandora radio station. Create a Pandora ad. Uh, create a message on uh, Pandora. You can do these really cool liners. By the way, there's a, a really cool webinar coming up on Pandora that Mike Warner's doing. We'll we'll share the link to uh, if you want to uh, learn more about Pandora. But um, you want to dig into a few of these? Yeah. Well, one one that kind of jumped out and I and I kind of made me do the dog thing where the dog kind of looks at you with the crooked crooked head. Uh, it is number forty three. Create BTS content on your video. Yeah, that's behind the scenes. Oh, behind the scenes. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, you're thinking the band. Yeah, I'm like, I could BTS not. is, you know, I'm a photographer, so we use BTS all the time. We're if we do a photo shoot, okay. there's always somebody there shooting BTS. Yes, and people love seeing how the sausage is made. So, so show them here. Here you are in the studio. Uh, here I, you I used are. to call that B-roll. Is that is that not a, a phrase? That B-roll is typically about video. BTS is typically about still images and mm. video. Mm-hmm. Well, there you go, and that's why you're here, Jay, to to, to clarify these things. <laughs> um, a couple. So so uh, join a SoundCloud repost network. I'm not even sure what that is. So, so there's a bunch of things that I, that I kind of went in here like, but that's what's so great this? about this article. Yes. Are there things in here, you know, about maybe things that you haven't spent a lot of time with? One of them, number seventy-four, link your music on dating apps, and in parentheses it says, literally, this is a thing. Right, exactly. One of the things that I did like, number forty-six. If it's an acoustic song, create a remix. If it's a produced song, create an acoustic version. These yeah. things are so simple, and and the material is there already. And it takes that doesn't take very long at all. Right. And people love that. You know, when you're when you're a songwriter or an artist or a musician, you get sometimes a little too close to it and a little too precious. I think. Um, yeah. But step back a little bit, and different versions of the same song. And again, you know, you you might be surprised sometimes yeah. where where that takes the song. And yeah, as a fan of a particular artist, I love that stuff. And as someone who works with artists, um, we worked a, a couple of releases a couple of years ago with a, the band Vintage Trouble, and we did something that I thought was really cool. They, we wanted to 
take our time and release it in bite-sized chunks, not not maybe just drop an album and then, you know, market that. So we did a couple of things. One, we did the first EP and those five songs, which was wonderful. But then we took those same five songs and they recorded them reimagined. I don't mean necessarily stripped down, but they might mm-hmm. have done a reggae version of one of the songs. One of them could have been an acoustic, like really reimagined. Yeah. And then those songs were combined with those first five and that became the CD uh, and vinyl. So you had the EP and then you had an album. Then we repeated the process and the next one, five new songs, and then we took those same five songs and had live versions of them put together in an EP. Yeah, And then later, that was put, you know, it's, it's really interesting and I just remember back when it was only CDs, before there were downloads, I used to buy these really cool dual digipack CDs from the UK and they did something really cool. They would put, they would be singles. So Mm -hmm. I love Crowded House. So they put out their new single in a dual digipack. You open it when you got home, there's only one CD in there. There was a whole, there was one missing. So you got the single and maybe a live version or an acoustic version of it. But then when the next single came out, in 60 days, yes, you had to buy that to fill up the other slot, right? <laughs> I remember so that. So that, yeah. that Vintage Trouble thing reminded me of that a little bit. As music freaks, we love hearing outtakes, B-sides, live versions, different performances, different interpretations. And I think that's a long-winded way of, you know, that's what uh, number 46 was all about. Yeah, absolutely. And and of course, you know, it's, it's not like it used to be uh, in terms of the cost of recording. You know, if, if for... For many people, you've got the, you've already got the files probably in, in some sort of digital audio workstation, Pro Tools or Logic or whatever, and it's not that hard to do different versions and to mix stuff up. You know, it's it's re- nor is it super expensive, or it can be done very inexpensively, I should say. So right. It, well, you you sent me something this week. Um, you sent me a video interview with Roger Joseph Manning Jr. that was phenomenal, but he said something in it that really uh, hit me, it was that it used to be hard. You had to collect different uh, keyboards and synthesizers and sounds and loops and all those things. Today's musician is standing on the shoulders of giants because they have access to all of that. And it kind of speaks to what you're saying here is young musicians today... They don't have to go into the recording studio at hundreds of dollars per hour, and they can do this at home and do it well. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. When you look at the cost of Apple Logic, which you know is a fully functional, it, it, it's in the same uh, area as Pro Tools, um, I think it's $300 now. That's super cheap. And then it gives you a palette of, of sounds and samples of all the classic instruments, just everything. It's all there. And great it's drum sounds, there. it's all there. And for like 300 bucks in a computer and you're, you know, you've got the same tools that, that any professional artist has. So it's a remarkable time to be recording. It's just a but, great, this is one of those pieces that you and I talk about where you need to print it out, save it with your yep. stack of, you know, ones. And I think stuff. the next one uh, that we're going to talk about is one of those two. It's from Banzoogle, who is mm-hmm. one of our sponsors, and we love Banzoogle. I've built so many websites uh, using Banzoogle. In fact, the Your Morning Coffee uh, website is built on the Banzoogle uh, platform. Um, 
And this is an infographic. It's super cool. The headline is 18 Ways Fans Can Support Musicians, and it was written by Stacy Bedford. Mm-hmm. Um, and Stacy's awesome. We've, we've talked to her on the Music Biz Weekly uh, podcast, and we love what they're doing over there. Um, but what was funny about this is um, I went through this list of 18 things that you can do to support musicians, and I just pulled out one, one artist um, and that I talk about a lot here. You know, One of my favorite bands and favorite clients is The Accidentals. I went through this and I have checked off every box except for one. And what's the one? <laughs> the one is, um, let's see if I can find it. It, it. Take music lessons. Number one, they are remarkable musicians. Like, um, great Sav can play, you know, violin and bass and guitar and, you know, uh, mandolin. And Katie does cello and guitar and bass. And I mean, they, they play multiple instruments and they're at a different level than I am. Right. I mean, we're not even in the same league, you know, uh, if I was playing a guitar and they walked into a room, I would put it away. Um, but that was the one that I didn't have. Number 14 was take music lessons, but all the other ones I sent over, uh, to their manager, uh, Amber and said, I'm a super fan, fanboy. Check this out. I, I have done, I mean, I did a living room show with them at one point. Right. You know, um, house concert, whatever you want to call it. You know, I support them on Patreon. But I thought it'd be fun to kind of go through um, these 18. Um, if you're uh, an artist, um, this is these are the things that your, your super fans should be doing for you. Right. I'll let you start because I don't have it up on my computer. <laughs> Okay. It's, you know, number one is follow on social media. I mean, some of these are pretty obvious and some of them aren't, but yeah, you want to make sure that you're following your favorite artists on social media and also on YouTube, subscribe to their YouTube channel, follow them on the DSPs, follow them on social media. Um, that's kind of, uh, the basics join their mailing list. This is huge. Um, you, the artists own, um, their fans when they have these mailing lists and mail still works. Um, I'm going to go through just a couple more and then I'll turn it over to you. Yep. Um, share the music. Um, when I hear something great, I, I, I call you and I go, Mike, have you heard this, man? You, you, you got to share the music, you know? Yeah, um, Tune into live streams. Um, I watch as many, if not all, of the Accidentals live streams that I can possibly get. Um, absolutely love them. Uh, and number five, you know, put some money in the tip jar. Totally. Um, you can do that on Spotify. You can do that, you know, um, on other platforms. But if, if there's somebody that's been during the pandemic was eating sawdust for a year and a half, maybe you can put a little money in that tip jar, maybe buy their merch. You know what I'm saying? Well, and, and that's a couple of those things regarding merch. Purchase merch, of course, it's a great way to put money in the pocket of, of your favorite band is to buy their merch. But then also wear it and show it off. You know, as they say, in the age of social media, sharing selfies in your favorite band's merch goes a long way towards name recognition and getting, getting people to check out their music. So don't buy the merch and then just put it in the closet. Wear it and post when you're wearing it. Um uh, donate. Look for an open-ended ca- uh, donate button on your favorite artist's website to give them what you can, when you can, kind of like the tip jar. You know, always a, a direct donation goes right into their pockets. And boy, it's for so many artists coming out of the pandemic, they are hurting. Um, uh, and then uh, give the gift of music. You know, if you want to support a musician, buy and share their music. Sending a digital copy of an album to a friend for their birthday. We talked about that, how, how we like to share music with each other and things that are happening. And that's, of course, a, a wonderful 
a wonderful thing to do with music and friends. Um, playlist their music. If, you, if there's a song you love, add it to a play. Add it to a playlist on Spotify. Yeah, you just skipped yeah. one though that I want to make sure we talk about, and that's sure. create videos. Create videos mm-hmm. with their music. Was- we saw this recently with um, one of our artists, uh, Ben Barnes. Uh, put out this wonderful EP called Songs for You. And I was blown away at the fan-created videos. I'm talking thousands of them. And it really yeah. helps because they're playing it for their friends. And the other one was um, there was this reaction video where this woman from Athens, Greece, uh, created a video of her watching Eleven Eleven for the very first time and like crying. Uh, she loved it so much, right? Wow. So I tracked her down. And I found her and I shared it with Ben who, who loved it and gave her a shout out online. But more importantly, I said, um, we're releasing another uh, video uh, soon. Um, how would you like a little early peek? And would you do another reaction video? Cause she got thousands and thousands of views of this thing. And, and we did it. And oh, neat. these fans want to be involved. They want help. And I mean that, that shout out that she got from Ben I mean, she lost her mind. It was it was well, super cool. And, you know, again, comparing the, the, the old music business to the new music business, f- to be a fan now is you have so much access to an artist in a way that we never, ever, ever did when we were coming up. And that is one thing to take advantage of. And it's so great for fans to have that opportunities. Um, one of these things I, I love, and this is kind of along with with uh, with living room shows. Hire them for a private event, and yeah. you were on that way early. You were you've been doing that for twenty years. I mean, you've 25. been doing twenty five. Yeah, I've been doing. Yeah. Well, what happened was I was flying to New York one time, and I was reading the newspaper, and it said that Pat Denizio, God rest his soul, from yeah. Smithereens, mm-hmm. was going across the country doing house concerts, what they called living room shows. And so I immediately called up a friend of mine who was a music freak like you. And I said, do you think we could ask some of these artists if they like, I've got a room in my house that's big enough to bring some people in. And we started doing them. I had Lawrence Juber, who used to be in Paul McCartney yeah. and Wings. You know, I had Lisa Loeb and Kurt Smith from Tears for Fears and uh, Chris Collingwood from, uh, from Fountains of Wayne. You'd be shocked at... You ask these people because sometimes when they play in a club, at least in Los Angeles, they don't even break even. But at a living room show, if they sell merch um, and you charge people $20 a head and all the money goes to the artist, I've seen artists make over $2,000 in one night. And that's not nothing. And they have a crowd that loves them. I actually did a house concert with the Accidentals. when uh, when they were in town, uh, I don't know, two years ago, whatever it was, that's how I checked off this box. But I encourage people to do house concerts when it's safe to do so, um, because you'd be surprised at how many people will say yes. Um, I had John Auer from the Posies. John Auer is one of my all-time favorite singer-songwriters. Yeah. Um, and he was, he was absolutely phenomenal. Ricky Warwick uh, did one. Um, I'm Mike Viola. I'm trying to think of all of them. We've done so, you so many of these of things. Yeah. And it's just been a joy. Um, be, and again, all the money um, that comes in, at least for our house concerts, we don't make a penny. All yeah. of it goes to the artists and then they sell signed merch there and they get to meet people. And you've got this, this crowd that is absolutely, you can hear a pin drop when you play. Yeah. They are, they're not trying to get laid or drink beer or whatever. They're focused on you. So it's addictive for artists to do those kinds of shows. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and then last one, the number 18 is also a super important one to donate to crowdfunding campaigns. Our art, many artists will raise money to complete an upcoming project like a new album. Be part of that process by contributing to their crowdfunding campaign and receive a perk in return. And you've done a number of these as well. Yeah. And I know you've, you've moderated yeah. many for different artists as well. Yeah, I love doing these things. You can use crates. We'll do that for vinyl. You can use uh, bandware is really great to partner with uh, if you want to do a, a crowdfunding campaign. Uh, Bandzoogle has that functionality built into websites, and they mm -hmm. don't take any commission on it. So you can do a crowdfunding thing. And listen, it doesn't matter if you have 100 fans or 100,000 fans. Those core fans want to support you. You and I are those fans for certain yep. artists, and we want to help. Um, and so th what a fantastic list here, uh, from Banzoogle, um, uh, from and Stacey, Stacey Bedford. Stacey Bedford, indeed. Thanks. So on that note, Jay, it is time to wrap up. You've got to roll over to Nashville to see the accidentals at the end of their yeah. tour. And that'll be a fun trip. Yeah. I'm and, looking forward uh, to it. Yeah. And I'm going to enjoy the sunshine and warmth here of Southern California in, as we head towards October. So, uh, I want to thank everyone for listening and we certainly appreciate it without you. We could not do this. And of course, we are so blessed to have our sponsors, uh, TiVo Music Metadata, Bandzoogle, Bands in Town, and Hypebot. Couldn't thank them enough. And Jay, on that note, let us say toodaloo. Thanks for listening, everybody. This has been episode number 64 of the Your Morning, uh, Your Morning Coffee podcast, and we will see you next week. You've been listening to Your Morning Coffee the weekly music news program for the new music business. Join Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchard next time for the digital music news you need to know.